Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon, and my special guest today is Leslie Vinetz. Leslie is a corporate sales trainer and sales-led B2B go-to-market consultant. She's been the head of sales three times, and Leslie is also the founder of Sales Team Builder. Leslie's a very active content creator. She has over 60,000 followers. She's posted daily on LinkedIn for over 1,000 days, and she is ranked by LinkedIn as a LinkedIn top voice of 2023. Leslie was also the first B2B sales creator on TikTok, posting under at sales tips talk. That's almost a tongue twister. <laughs> you know, I didn't ever say it out loud before I picked the handle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not going to say that I would have made different choices had I uh, actually tried to say it out loud first. <laughs> yeah. So Leslie also co-authored the book Heels to Deals, How Women Are Dominating in B2B Sales. For today's episode, we've decided to focus on everyone's favorite topic, cold calling. Why? Because Leslie has personally made over 100,000 sales uh, cold calls and she's managed and trained reps who have easily made millions of cold calls. She has a depth of experience from her own personal efforts, as well as those she's trained, which make her perfect for today's conversation. In fact, you know, Leslie uses much of her expertise at Sales Team Builder to help people, especially salespeople, talk with their prospects instead of at their prospects. Welcome, yeah. Leslie. How are you? How oh, are you? I'm so great, John. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here and um, to talk about how cold calling is not dead, even though that's all we seem to read on, um, it's on LinkedIn, <laughs> but it isn't. We'll talk about not why. Dead. A lot of times I get asked by people like, hey, John, of all the different sales tools that are out there, which one do you think is the most effective? <laughs> and I say the phone. <laughs> and a lot of people laugh because they're thinking I'm going to name some, you know, some technology or some piece of software that could be more effective. But, hey, this may be rhetorical, but just to ground this uh, discussion, can you start yeah. by defining really basically what a cold call is and why it is still so relevant in today's sales landscape? Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, I, it seems like it should be an easy definition, but it isn't. Because folks think of cold calling um, generally when they think of cold calling done badly. So what cold calling isn't is telesales. Like we are not dialing through a list and like, you know, word vomiting out a script to them verbatim. What we are doing is treating cold calling like a craft. So I think that's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. And something else that I see people get wrong very often, John, is 
they talk about cold calling done right, cold calling done strategically, where you have a relevant reason for the call, where you're showing up to provide value, where you, um, you know, maybe have a name drop ready and they're calling it warm outreach. That's not warm. If the person did not ask you to call them and they are not expecting your cold call, that is, that is cold, that is cold outreach. Um, so I think that it's important for folks to understand that we're not telesales, but there's still a path to cold calling that is sort of wrong versus a way to do it more strategically and get the results that um, we all hope for when we take the time to pick up the phone. Yeah. I like how you use the word craft because it is really, to do it really well, you have to think of it more as a a highly defined skill. It really is a craft, you know? Yeah. So what steps should sales professionals take before making a cold call in order to maximize success? Yeah, I, so first of all, your cold calls cannot be in a vacuum. If all you're doing is cold calling and you're using it as a single channel of outreach, you're never going to be as successful as using it with other channels of outreach. Um, So that might be also using social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, that might be emailing. Even if you only are using the phone, cold calls plus text messages plus voicemails. So make sure that we're layering in something besides just picking up the phone and and calling. Um, What should folks do before they pick up the phone? I take two approaches to this, John. One is a value-based segmentation approach. This is my personal favorite. It's it's Mm -hmm. been my path to success uh, as an individual contributor. And it's what I've coached and trained my teams and my clients on that have uh, have allowed them to, to be very successful. And that means that you are going to create a very segmented, a very niche list before you ever get to the phone. So that list might only be... 54 people, 38 people, whatever. But every single one of those individuals, you can use an almost identical call opener and impact statement for. Okay. So it allows you to really get in the zone while you're making those cold calls. um, And it allows you to, with a lot of confidence, start every single conversation without having to pause between every call to go back to the drawing board and find something new to say. So that's my favorite way. The alternate way uh, done right would be a more hyper-personalized approach. The the wrong way is going on sort of a generic spammy message. And making that list, Leslie, that you just described, do I do that by, sometimes we call it an ideal customer profile. Do I basically make up my ideal customer profile that you might use my product in this specific use case and it's this specific persona. And I get pretty granular on you know, like who I am targeting. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. You take your you take your ideal customer profile, your ICP, and then you add more layers of granularity to it. So if your ICP are finance professionals in you know one of three industries. You pick one industry and then you don't say finance professionals. You say, you know, CFOs that work in the consumer packaged goods space that are based in the New York metro area that have been in seat for less than one year that work at companies with revenue and access of 10 billion. 
So by building in those additional layers, it allows you to come up with a message that while not being hyper-personalized, it's not only for you, John, you are very confident that it is relevant to their business challenges and that you're going to be able to lead with value because you you know, you know what you're talking about. Right, right. So then the other what you just touched on is some other research that I need to do is understand some of their business challenges, some of their pains, so I can speak mm -hmm. specifically to their pains and potentially how my solution might, you know, over, overcome some of those pains or some of those business challenges. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about leveraging cold calls as part of a broader sequence, as part of a multi-channel like strategic outreach, which is always where folks are going to get the best results, that's something you want to do from day one so that you are really setting yourself up to sort of tell a story almost. And the story is centering your customer. We hear this terminology, right? Like customer-centric selling, buyer-centric selling. And you've hit the nail on the head, John. It's from the beginning, making sure that you are knowledgeable enough that you are saying something that matters to them. I talk about it in the context of earning the right. Have mm. you earned the right to ask them to read this email, to, to pick up this phone and listen to you? Have you earned the right to ask for their attention or their consideration? And the only way to do that is to make it about them. Yeah. Now... I wanted to touch, go back and touch on something that you said that interested me, you know, layering in. It can't be just making cold calls. You have to layer it in with, you know, voicemails or emails. And you mentioned a couple other, you know, items there. Are there specific ways in which I should utilize my layering in approach? Yeah. So ideally, folks are going to be using three channels. So generally, that is a social channel, email and a phone. So if that works for your sale, like whatever industry you're in, whatever ICP you're selling from, um, definitely take that multi-channel approach. Since we're really talking about cold calling today, and I know that there are some folks that maybe they're selling to ICPs that aren't on LinkedIn or aren't really on social or don't check their emails. Um, I have had a couple of clients that sell into the healthcare space, but like doctors and holistic care centers where mm -hmm. they're not stopping between patients to check an email or go on and make a LinkedIn post. So it was really, really call heavy and ways that we were able to create layers of outreach, even within phone as our only real, real mode of, uh, of outreach. Um, we're using text messages. Okay. If you're using text messages, you want them to be extremely brief. You really, you want to write them like a very, very short cold email. Um, and when we look at what's working for cold emails, it's between 16 and 60 words, one, six and six, zero, really short. You want your text messages to be even shorter. Mm -hmm. And again, it has to be about them. So it can't be high on Leslie texting you from sales team builder, I want to see if you're interested in buying my product. Really, like it really holds you to a high standard yes. um, of, of getting to the point. And then the other layer I would say is voicemails. 
Um, if you're doing a very hall, uh, call heavy approach, John, you don't want to leave voicemails every single time you call. That might be a bit much, but you do want to pepper in voicemails. And there's a couple things that folks um, absolutely need to keep in mind when they're leaving voicemails. One, optimize for visual voicemail. So assume that not everybody is going to listen to your message. Assume that many people are going to read the transcript of your message. So we're going to follow a lot of those same rules that we would for that text message, for that email. Keep it really short. Be concise. Be articulate. And then make sure that your voicemail uh, is about them. And then the last tip that I really suggest folks use uh, is that if you are using other channels, email, social, use your voicemail to point to another channel because it's often wow. more likely that they're going to respond to you on social or on email than give you a call back. If that's not what's going on with, you know, with your industry, if you really are expecting a call back, that's a place where I love to use that text message because it might be easier for them to text you back than to call you back. So in general, think yeah. about creating ways to make it easy for them to both get value and easy for them to respond to you. Very good. Very good. Let's talk about the pitch, though that we have to have for, you know, our ideal customer profile. Are there any specific elements that might make up a compelling cold call pitch mm -hmm. to really capture their attention? Now you yeah. talked about how short it should be and those types of things. But I think in this case, are we talking about like when we actually get someone on the phone, you know, what is a compelling call pitch, you know, sound like, what are the elements? Yeah, so we've we've done it all. Somebody's answered our phone call. Yay! Hey. <laughs> you know, balloons are falling from the ceiling. Um, what you want to think about when somebody answers the phone is what your call opener is, your impact statement is, and then after that, we can get into the the sort of meat and potatoes of the pitch. But thinking about call opener and impact statement. Um, your call opener, there's two main methodologies being taught right now. One is permission-based opener. The other is reason for the call. I almost exclusively teach reason for the call, um, both because the data shows it works the greatest number of times, and it's also my sales style. Um, Which is and, important, right? You got to stay with, with with what's true to you, right? How you yes. feel comfortable, right? It is. It is important. And that's why even though I don't teach, predominantly teach permission-based openers, there's still something I always talk about because the number one most important thing about cold calling is confidence. So often it matters less the exact words we're saying when we think about those first few seconds of the call. And it matters a lot more the tone with which we're communicating because that is really telling the person that's picked up the phone whether or not we believe that we deserve their time. Mm -hmm. So find a call opener that you're confident with, a permission-based opener. Um, some of the ones that I think they're very cringeworthy. I would never do them, but people love them. Some of the ones that are most popular right now are like, Hi, John. Leslie calling from Sales Team Builder. This is a cold call. You want to roll the dice and see why I'm giving you a ring or hang up on me now? I could never, I even, even saying it out loud, sort of, um, but sounds, it sounds very corny. Yeah. It sounds so corny. It's not yeah. the way we speak in normal life. 
but people love them. They are extremely confident delivering them. And as a result, they work for them. So I prefer a reason for the call opener, which is, John, the reason for the call is, and then it's something I saw you post on social media. It's a referral. It's we share a connection to one of our advisory board members. It's something from your CEO's earnings statement on growth. Like it is a very specific reason for the call. Um, so again, the, the data shows reason for the call works fast. That's why I teach it. And it's also just what I'm more comfortable with. But if you are doing a permission-based opener and it feels good to you and it's working for you, go keep, keep doing it. Don't let me right, stop. It gives you the confidence as you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for the call works too, because people are always wondering, why are you calling me? You know, mm-hmm. what's the main, what is the reason for that? Right. So, okay. We're making a cold call. Yeah. We're going to get something called objections. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I guess and then, one, one more thing before we move on to objections. Sure. Sure. Um, when we think about the full impact statement, so your call opener is going to be maybe that first like eight to 15 seconds, preferably shorter. Um, and we know that we have about eight to 15 seconds for the person that we've reached to decide if they're either going to hang up on us, stay on the phone, but answer emails or just, you know, check their self, like be distracted, but let us uh, talk to them or they're actually going to listen. So you really, that's one of the reasons, reason for the call works well, because we've told them why it's worth paying mm-hmm. attention to us. But your entire impact statement, that's going to be a bit longer, maybe that first 30 seconds to one minute of the call and make sure that during that call opener or sorry, during that impact statement, you continue to really index on relevance. Like why does it matter to them? What value can we provide to them before you pivot to the rest of the pitch, which spoiler alert shouldn't actually be a pitch. It should be a series of questions that helps you uncover whether or not your product or service is even right for this person. Uh, and it allows you particularly sell something that is very feature-based. You see this a lot in SaaS or with complex products. It allows you to resist the urge to feature dump, meaning yes. you talk about every single thing your product or service uh, does. It allows you to be more dialed in to maybe the two or three features that actually matter to the person that you are speaking to. So as you build out your your pitch, your script, uh, I encourage you to segment it into a really confident call opener, an impact statement that is very relevant, that helps them understand why we are calling them specifically, how we can help them specifically, but it's not about the features or benefits of your product. And then as you transition into more of the conversational part of the pitch, really map out the types of questions that will help you gain a deeper understanding of that person's needs, challenges, pains, whatever, so that when it is your turn to talk, when it is your turn to sort of pivot into seller mode, uh, or the I like to think of it more as helper mode. You're talking about the things that they actually want to buy, not just sort of extraneous things about the product. So, Right. So this goes back to the research that we need to have done on the ICP and the specific persona, specific use case for the product or our solution to their issues. We have to also come up with not only the pitch, but we have to and the impact statement, as you described. But we also need to come up with very, very relevant 
um, maybe let's call them discovery questions or questions to get them to reveal more about themselves or their yeah. or their you know business challenges, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if you're an SDR, those questions are probably going to be a bit different than if you're a full cycle AE. So the the it's not a drag and drop that there are best questions to ask. We really need to think about the goal of the call, the outcome of the call. So if it's an SDR, it's getting that qualified meeting into an AE's calendar. If it's a full cycle AE, maybe you're thinking about the this is an initial discovery meeting that you're starting to build a relationship off of. So be strategic in crafting a list of discovery questions with that end goal in mind. Okay. Now we're and making the call. We're going to hear some objections, right? <laughs> yeah. I know that you've, um, with all the cold calls that you've personally made and all the people that you've helped over the course of your career, you've narrowed it down to like 13 very common objections. I mean, we probably all know what they are, but do you, did you want to just talk about you know, one or two of them that we're always going to typically hear? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I was live uh, in Chicago with a group of founders a couple of weeks ago, and I was leading an objection handling workshop. Prior to the workshop, we sent a note out to say, which objections are you hearing the most? And we had it segmented by stage of the sales cycle. And not surprisingly, John, one that came up at every single stage of the sales cycle, and it's one I definitely know folks are hearing on cold calls. How much is it? Right, right. We're, we're always we're always going to hear that. Um, yeah. So I think how much is it? Not interested. Can you just send me something? And I'm not the right person. Are probably the ones we're hearing the most. Yeah, the categories I used to have was. No time, no hurry, no money, no trust, no need, and not me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to hear those almost all the time. Somewhere in those categories, you're going to hear the the objections and you have to be be ready for them, right? You're, you made so many good points. One, you are going to hear objections. They're not a like maybe. So prepare for them, which feels like a silly thing to have to say out loud. But the amount of times I work with reps who role play their call openers and role play their pitches over and over and over again, but then don't role play objections. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's shocking to me because you, if you're getting on a cold call with somebody, you're going to hear at least one objection full stop. If they are not voicing at least one objection, and maybe it isn't that sort of brush off objection at the beginning of the pitch, but if they're not voicing at least one objection towards the end of that initial discovery, probably means they weren't really listening. They're not very interested. Like we want a little bit of pushback yes, so that we yes. know the person is, you know, they're, they're part of it. They're part of the conversation involved. Um, okay. And, so yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And I was just going to say the other thing that you made that is so important um, is that most of the objections are rooted in fear. They are rooted in a lack of trust. That we don't. This person doesn't know us. This is a cold call, so we don't have that trust, that credibility. And individuals are extremely afraid of making the wrong choice. There is new uh, data that came out from Forrester this year that uh, noted a big shift in the market. That it 
is away from that sort of fear of missing out mentality that we saw the last two years when we were very much in a growth at all costs economy. And it is pivoting towards a fear of messing up economy, which we see when profit margins are down, when layoffs are pending. So particularly if you're making calls, cold calls right now, any calls, understand that what's happening in your prospect's mind is a fear of messing up, a fear of spending time on the wrong things, a fear of giving their trust to the wrong people, a fear of buying the wrong products or software. And there's a really, you know, a very real cost to that that could be their jobs, their next promotion, having to lay off some of their staff. So keep keep that mentality in mind when you are thinking about how you can earn the right to their time, their attention, their consideration. Yeah, very important. Now, I've heard you discuss the three C's for Mm -hmm. handling a cold call, curiosity, conversation, and conclusion. Let's start with curiosity. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. This was a a framework that I came to by making a bunch of mistakes when it came to overcoming objections. When I was new on the phone and for context folks, my first role out of college was as an ISR, which meant I was full cycle. I was doing the prospecting, all of the cold calling, the meeting setting, the closing. Um, and it was minimum, minimum four deals a month. So it was like high volume, pretty transactional. We were calling on C-suite executives. Um, most notably, I cut my teeth calling CFOs during the Great Recession. Yeah. <laughs> and what I was taught was that the number one thing that I needed to do when I heard an objection was to overcome it. And it kept me stuck for, for many months, if not maybe years, John, in a mindset of your objection, overcome it. And that made me a seller instead of a helper. It created an environment where I think prospects regretted giving me an objection in the first place versus just hanging up on me. It immediately had them put their walls up. Because instead of hearing the objection and leading with curiosity, trying to learn more, I just tried to bulldoze them into understanding why their objection was just so silly. And anyways, here's my, here's my product. Here's all the ways it's going to help you. So what came out of those mistakes is understanding that the number one most important thing that you can do when you hear an objection is just try to keep the conversation going. Don't worry about overcoming it. Just keep the conversation going. And the way to keep the conversation going is be curious. I think some of the best salespeople that I've seen, even if it's not a cold, even if it's a cold call and not a cold call, even in a meeting and they hear an objection, they're so curious as to why the customer has that opinion. Yeah that they start to ask why and they don't understand. And it's very genuine because they really don't understand and they really are curious. That's number one. And number two is I found that those people also don't take anything personally. And as salespeople, I think a lot of us attach ourselves so closely to our product or our solution 
that when we hear an objection, we almost take it as an attack on us personally. And I think you need to separate yourself from your product and your solution. And as you pointed out, be very curious as to why the customer has that objection. What's behind it? Mm, it's it's true. And, you know, interestingly, I, I left corporate about 18 months ago to make what was my my side hustle, my passion project, my full-time role. And now I sell myself. I sell my own expertise. So it has been a interesting evolution 15 years into my career to have to go back and question some of that detachment. And some of that fear of rejection in a new light. Um, and I think for me, at least, it was much easier to be extraordinarily resilient and brush off rejection and, and um, move on when I was selling something for somebody else because it was, I was very proud of the products I sold, but they weren't mine. I didn't, I didn't right. make, well, that's not true. At the startup, I did literally create the MVP, but um, it's, it's been interesting to explore that again as a, a full-time founder and an entrepreneur. And I've realized that it's even more important in this role to lead with curiosity. And, and luckily curiosity is something that's always come very easy to me. But one of the things that I, I coach reps on, and this is true for so many of our skills, John, like active listening and curiosity and empathy and time management, that folks often assume they have it or they don't. And that's so incorrect. That is, that is unquivocally untrue. It is untrue based on leading data about neural pathways and how the mind works. It's untrue based on the, the data that we see within sales cycles. All of those quote unquote soft skills, they're still skills, which means yes. that you can train on them. You can flex them, build those muscles. Um, so you're, you're so right that curiosity is. It is something that I've seen in every single elite seller that I have either managed or worked with. It is a skill set that even 15 years into my career, I had to go back and rebuild again as I moved into a, selling something different, selling myself as a service versus a product. Um, and when we think about curiosity on cold calls, because arguably it is a bit different than if you are in a discovery call or in the middle of a sales process, because a lot of the objections that we're getting are sort of brush off objections. Think about how you can practice curiosity to continue the conversation. So let me give you an example. Somebody says, sure, just send something over. It can be really easy to want to believe that they are truly interested in seeing something. They are not. Yeah, right. I was going to say they're not. <laughs> they are not. They yeah. are just trying to brush you off. They're trying to get you off of the phone. That is an objection. Yeah. So a way to continue the conversation, a way to lead with curiosity is to say, John, no problem. I can I can absolutely send something over. Out of curiosity, what, what would you want to see? Mm, interesting. Right. So now you're continuing the call. You're not overcoming the objection. You're not saying, well, John, we don't actually send things over like that. Right. You're not getting sort of aggressive or you're not telling them no. You're not combating the objection. You're saying, yes, 
end. Yes, I'll send that over. If you were going to partner with an XYZ, what would be the one thing that you would want to know about them? You're asking that open-ended question. You're leading with curiosity. And the outcome is that not only do you get to continue the conversation, you get an opportunity to develop a deeper understanding of what's important to this person. And the outcome isn't always going to be setting up a meeting, but the outcome can be maybe disqualifying them, which is still a good outcome. You're getting them out of your pipeline, so you're not wasting time there. An outcome can be that you learn something. You learn something about the challenges that your prospects are facing. An outcome can be simply that you got to practice overcoming that objection, not still a positive. Maybe an outcome is that you find out that your competitor is a significantly better fit and you can give them a referral that is going to be the best choice for them. So it is a bit counterintuitive. I think particularly for a new rep when we're so indexed on overcome objection, set meeting. But pivoting from overcome to continuing the conversation through curiosity is a real game changer. Yeah. So what you're saying is the the best way to explore curiosity is, you know, by continuing the conversation. Yeah. I think the point that, you know, you always make is talking with the customer instead of at the customer. And then the best way to keep the conversation alive and maintain your curiosity is to ask very smart, relevant, reflective, you know, discovery type questions. Spot on. Superb summary. All right. See, I was listening. Yeah, I love Which it. Which is important. That's also super important on these cold calls is that you are truly listening because you, to your earlier point, you have your pitch, you have your discovery questions, you've done your homework, you know the persona, you know the use case. And now you have to be engaged in that customer conversation. You can't really, to keep a conversation going, I found is you can't start to think about what you're going to say next. You have to really listen. And if you're truly listening, it's almost like you know exactly what question to ask next or what to say next in a conversation because it's more natural. Mm, you're so you're so right. I uh, I teach an active listening workshop. It's actually one of my most popular workshop workshops in my training series and I teach a 4 R framework and the third R is resist. And so often well I think we we all think we are good listeners when in reality we're not. Like even though it's something that I I actively practice, I read books, like I have an app to help with it. It's still something I know I need to work on constantly. So to level set, we're all bad listeners. <laughs> we all need to work on listening. But in the 4R framework, the third R is resist. And so often when I say, okay, resist, what does that mean? The, the group responds, well, don't interrupt. And don't interrupt is just the the least we should be doing. Um, one of the the things that you just mentioned, John, is resisting the temptation to rent space in your head to what you're going to say next, because now you are not fully present listening. Correct. Resisting yeah. the temptation to I think this is particularly true for sellers. Resisting the temptation to judge or assume that you know what somebody is trying to communicate 
So instead of following up with curiosity and questions, you jump into helper mode because we often are hearing the same things over and over and over again. So it's easy to assume that we know what they mean. We know the answer. For me, one of the the biggest challenges was resisting the temptation to share my own relatable story. Because Mm. I, you know, I was like, oh, no, I'm so relatable. Like, same, I, I totally get it. But I wasn't sending the message, oh, I totally get it. I was sending the message, I want the spotlight on me, not on you. Uh, right? Interesting. So it, it's, yeah, it's so new. It's so nuanced and it's so powerful. But to your point, active listening is the foundation of sales. I think it's, it's probably the most important skill that any salesperson can have because it's Hard to be curious if you weren't listening. It's hard to ask great questions if you weren't listening. It's hard to seek deep understanding and sell to a person's unique needs if you weren't listening. So it's 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 an extremely important point. It's a skill that I suggest everybody treat like a skill and actually work on and invest in because it's it's truly the foundation of becoming a consistent top performer in sales. Do you think that there's any specific types of questions that work best, you know, open-ended questions, reflective questions, or does it just go back to the point again of if you're engaged in the conversation, you'll know what type of question to ask? Mm, A blend of questions, surely. Uh, A blend being there is a time for open-ended questions where you really just want to throw out sort of a vague open-ended question. Um, Some of my favorite are actually super vague. Like, how does that work for you? What does that mean in your company? Can you tell me more about that? You can put those in any conversation, right? Like those are, those are drag and drop anywhere, but they avoid putting sort of assumptions on your prospect or, or narrowing down exactly what you want an answer for. So I think that's a great place to sort of look at questioning like a funnel, right? We're, we're starting at the top with some of those more vague, open-ended questions. As we get to the middle of the funnel, maybe we are um, adding in more specific but still open-ended questions and blending those with some assumptive questions. And then blending those with questions where we restate and then specifically ask if we've gotten it right or wrong. So it's a closed-ended question. And then as you Mm -hmm. get towards the end of the pitch, then you're really going with more assumptive questions. John, it sounds like this is something that you're interested in. John, it seems like you see the value in this. Should we set up another meeting? Should, like, right? So you want to go with the assumptive into that clear yes, no, close-ended question. Um, thinking about it in the context of objections, one of my favorite questions is, um, John, it sounds like getting your boss's approval is the only thing holding you back from staying yesterday. Did I get that right? Or is there anything else that could stop us from working together? Mm. That question is... It's been like a game-changing question and being able to tighten my sales cycles and have, you know, 50% plus close rates throughout my career. Yeah, really good. Okay, so then we feel like we get into a point where we um, had a good pitch, we're engaged with the customer, we're asking good questions, and, you know, you kind of get to the feeling like, okay, I need to kind of wrap, try to wrap this call up mm-hmm. and close, let's say, for something. Is there, are there any, you know, methods or techniques or 
things that you would tell the audience about trying to conclude the call? Yeah. So for thinking about it in the context of cold calls, we're going to always assume that the next thing that we want is another confirmed meeting. So I caution all of you that if your next steps are just sending something over or I'll take a look and let you know if I'm interested, that's not real pipeline. That is hope, wish, dream pipeline. Unless you have a mutually agreed to next step with a specific timeline, like mutually agreed to deadline, timeline, meeting in the calendar, your forecasts are going to let you down over and over again. Yes, that's so sure. let's assume, yeah. So let's assume that the thing that we are aiming for, um, whether or not you're a full cycle AE and you want a proper discovery meeting or your SDR BDR and you're just getting that um, you know qualifying meeting into your um, your AE's calendar, the first thing that you're going to want to do is get clarity. And the best way to do that is to take their words and repeat them back. John, you said your number one priority in Q4 is, did I get that right? Then you're going to get the confirmation that you got it right. And then you're going to repeat it again, but within the context of how you can help. So knowing that the most important thing for you to get right in Q4 is X, and we you know, either have helped X and Y people do that, or, you know, I have an AE that can share two or three ways that, you know, we've helped other folks in Y industry do that, right? Like the, the reason for the call, the reason they should get on the next call that is again, rooted in giving them value, repeat that, and then say, should we set up that next call? Do you have your calendar in front of you right now for us to get that call booked in? My AE is available on Thursday next week between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Does that time block work for you? Um, so it's a bit of a layering technique where you get the confirmation that you got it right. And then you get the confirmation that they understand the connection between their challenge and how you can help. And then you ask that very direct question about getting a meeting booked. And here's what's tough about asking such a direct question is that oftentimes they're going to push back and be like, no, I don't that's not bad. That's not bad. It's it's better to ask the direct question and get that maybe or get that no on the first call because you're either going to avoid time wasting your time and your AE's time and avoid like bad forecasts and bad pipeline in general. But more importantly, it gives you a chance to overcome any outstanding objections before this prospect ghosts you, because that's what's going to happen. Because right, so, there's, there's something there. They're just not telling you. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So see, you know, five minutes at the end of the call to make sure that you have an opportunity to go through those mutually agreed to and like time bound next steps and to save a little bit of time anticipating that there might be some pushback, some hesitation, or to your earlier point, some fear that you need to openly discuss with them before they are willing to agree to give you additional time on their calendar. Yeah. Now, we talked earlier about layering in, you know, social, let's say, text and and cold calling. Yeah. Um, what do I do if it's my first call and I get voicemail? Do yeah. I just 
not leave a voicemail because I want to get the person live? Or would that be my first opportunity to say something on the voicemail, hoping that that I can catch them the next time live? Yeah, I think it really depends on what type of sequence you're running. If you're running a call heavy sequence, I might not leave a voicemail on the first call so I can call back the next day or call back that same day. You can do two calls on the same day, never more than two, but two is okay. Um, and try to reach them directly. I would never call more than twice without leaving a voicemail because then that's like, who is this? It just makes you seem like you are a scammer. Um, if you are running a multi-channel sequence that has either social or email in it, my favorite way to start sequences is with a double tap. And that means a voicemail with either an email or a social touch point. And what that's going to sound like in the voicemail is John, hi, Leslie calling from sales team builder, sending you an email about, and it's going to be something pertinent to them. Uh, the pod you were just on about cold calling. The statement that you just made about needing to increase your supplier diversity without increasing your supply base, something relevant. Um, I'm sending you a white paper that I think can help. I'm sending you a workbook that I know you're going to love. The email subject line is cold calling. So you're using that voicemail to then point to an email which is going to increase open rates on your email. And then in that email, you're going to have that value-based deposit, the insight, the you know frictionless call to value with a clear call to action of what you want that person to do next. Whether yeah. that's, you know, call you back, probably not, probably book in your calendar. Maybe it's just read this thing and tell me if it's relevant, uh, but it creates a, a beautiful little flywheel. I like that, especially since if we go all the way back to we built the ICP, we know the use case, the persona, you know, the challenge, business challenges and pains that they have. That's that's a perfect way of doing it. Really, I like that. I do, too. And it works. Best part. <laughs> it works really well. Yeah. What about. So I got the customer you know, to agree on a next step. And now I'm calling on a follow-up call. Yeah. To maybe check on the status of if we're still on track or any of those things. Are there any, you know, guidelines on follow-up calls? Yeah. Really great question. Um, So let's assume that maybe we didn't get that mutually agreed to calendar invite like we should have. What's going to happen? Right. Mm-hmm. We can we can prepare for and we can train for best case scenarios, but there's going to be times where it doesn't happen. Or, you know, maybe let's give ourselves a little bit of credit. We got that meeting booked in, um, but the decision maker wrote us back and said, Hey, I can't make it. We need to reschedule. Maybe we're trying to get it, you know, res- rescheduled. We're trying to get that update. Two things. One. The reason for following up is never just to follow up and just to check in because that gives exactly no value to the person that we are speaking with. So things I always suggest people avoid are like, hey, just checking in, just following up. Hey, can I get your thoughts? Instead, replace those sort of very generic, very seller-centric messages with a reminder of why they were excited 
about that follow-up meeting in the first place. Um, so an easy way to do that is make sure you're always putting an agenda in your follow-up meeting. That's going to increase your stick rates in the first place because they're going to open that meeting. They're going to be like, why did I agree to this? Oh, this agenda is so relevant to me. I won't, you know, I won't cancel it or I won't deprioritize it. Um, two, for example, instead of saying thoughts question mark, say, um, John, want to make sure I get your thoughts on, you know, increasing your account penetration by 12% via cold calling. Does this time or this time work, but, you know, to get it rescheduled? Um, so be specific about why you're following up. Um, and you're never just, you know, you're never just checking in, like be honest. Instead of saying just checking in, say, John, we agreed to meet on Tuesday. It appears this time doesn't work. Do you still want to speak? <laughs> like say the quiet things out loud so that you both give your prospect an out if they aren't really that interested. And then that allows you to avoid time wasting or to have an opportunity to confront those potential objections, those fears they might have head on so that you can, you know, reach that positive outcome. Okay. So let's go back to a scenario that we talked about before I made i I'm making a cold call. I get, yeah. I get voicemail. I left a voicemail and I reference one. I'm going to send an email with some information. I send the email and then I get an objection. So how do I overcome an objection if someone sends it in response to one of my emails that I sent along with, you know, my voicemail? Yeah. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is immediately pick up the phone. Maybe right. don't, don't respond back by email is what you're saying. Don't. Yeah, do the first thing that you want to do is pick up the phone immediately if you get an objection via email. Because it is almost impossible to overcome objections over over email. So make it easier on yourself. Pick up the phone. Uh, if the person doesn't answer, go ahead uh, and leave a voicemail asking if you can talk about whatever the objection was over the phone. Like say the thing that you want. Ask for the thing out loud. Don't be vague about it. Um, and then reply to the email with the same request. Can we hop on a call to talk about this? So you're going to Make the phone call, leave the voicemail asking for time, reply via email asking for time. Give yourself a shot at overcoming that objection live. If they won't get on the phone with you, which that happens a lot, particularly if it's pretty, or, you know, if it's very much a cold call, they're responding to a cold sequence, not interested, it's unlikely that they're going to just suddenly decide to give you their time. Go back to that curiosity. The goal isn't to overcome the objection via email. The goal is to get curious and learn something. So there's a reason why you reached out to that person in the first place. Maybe it is, um, you know, you saw their post that they wanted to increase their, you know, headcount by 30% before the end of the year. Tell them, like, that is the reason that you reached out it seems like maybe you got it wrong or maybe the timing isn't right. And then ask for their feedback or guidance. That's one of my most popular emails, uh, popular in terms of response rate. Just being like, I seem, it seems like I got it wrong. I'd really appreciate a bit of your guidance. Can you share one or two bullet points of where I missed the mark? People yeah, generally like to be helpful 
maybe it's not going to ultimately result in that meeting today, but it does keep the conversation open and it does give you information that will help you go back and approach that person uh, at a future date. Have you ever asked them if they're not the right person or you're not interested? Can you refer me to someone in the organization that you think this is pertinent to? I tend to avoid those emails. Sometimes I'll do an email email like that. Even if if you're on, I mean, I'm still on a cold call, but I realize Leslie's not really interested. Oh, okay. I understand. Um, So via via email, um, I will sometimes ask for that referral like as my break, quote unquote, breakup email, although I hate the term breakup email. Generally though, I know that I got it right. Like I know I am reaching out to the right person. Like I've done my research. So the, like for, for me, a lot of it is because I spent most of my career as an IC or people leader penetrating enterprise accounts. So like you're the CFO. I know you're the CFO. Like I know <laughs> right. right. Like I know you're the right person. Pretty to difficult to hide that in that right. time. Yeah. When I've worked with clients who are maybe penetrating in the mid-management where there are a ton of people with the same title, I think that's an appropriate time to like get the clarity on are you really the right person? But if you're getting it on a cold call. I would still approach it with curiosity. Um, I would assume that it's a brush off objection before I would assume that I actually got the wrong person. So John, that might sound something like, oh, shoot. Um, You know, the reason I was reaching out to you specifically and repeat the reason that you're reaching out to this person um, and then just ask, like, is that not your, is that not what you do? Like just yeah. ask the question that you want to know yeah. the answer to. Sure. I think, you know, it kind of goes back to the permission-based openers that for some reason, we are often trained to speak in a way and act in a way that we would never do in real life. Yes. And that's true with overcoming objections that we have to sort of like spin a yarn and sort of be vague and mysterious. Instead of just asking the question. Just ask the question that you want to know the answer to. Yeah. Now, have you found, is there an ideal time of day or day of the week to make cold calls? Does, have you ever found anything like that? You know, there's so much data on this, John, but it really depends on who you're calling. Yeah, probably like depends be, upon the level of who you're calling. and it, Yeah. Yeah. So it can change based upon the level also, right? Yeah. If you're calling super, super senior folks, I have found that calling early in the day and late in the day does work well because it's generally before or after their meetings. Or if you're calling into an office, it's before or after their gatekeeper has left. So that works really well. Uh, If you're calling folks like the example I gave of um, calling on doctors or calling on like holistic care providers who are with patients. Same thing, you might want to call before their patients start or after their patients end and never call on Mondays because that's always going to be their busiest day. So think about the life of the person that you're calling on. Like think about the life they are living and Mm -hmm. when it is most likely based on that persona that they would be available. But it also goes back to why we use sequences. Like just randomly calling people or randomly emailing people is not a path to success. You need to figure out what is repeatable. And the only way to do that is to 
have it in a measurable way. You're not just randomly calling people. You can then track when your calls are being made because maybe you're using uh, your CRM or sales enablement platform. And it shows that the highest pickup rates are between 10 and noon, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Now you know that's when you want a time block for cold calling. It shows that your highest email open rates are after 3 p.m. on Thursday and Friday. That's when you want your emails to go out. So I really encourage folks to take... Just like we, we treat cold calling as a craft, we also need to understand that the best results are going to come from having repeatable processes. So the more you can systemize your outreach, the better you're going to be able to iterate on when you should call, when you should email, what you should say. Um, and that's when cold calling really, really works. And a hundred times out of a hundred, John, if you see people that are on the cold calling as dead narrative, it is because they are not treating it like a craft. Right. And it is because they are not doing it in a way that is systematized or repeatable. They're just sort of free willing it and not going in prepared to earn the right to their prospect's attention. And then they're wondering why it's not working. That's not only in cold calls. You see that a lot in sales. People just go in and wing it. They don't really want to do yeah. homework on the ICP, homework on the persona, the use case, who they're going to talk to. They don't really know their product so well and they just wing it. Okay. So that's it's true in more than just cold calls. Let's talk about how you coach or train teams on objection handling. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, I work with corporate sales teams, generally 10 plus reps. So one of my favorite ways to train is in one-to-many sessions that are super interactive. Um, objection handling is actually one of my... It's like time management, um, active listening, and objection handling are my three sessions that people just go ham for. And what makes them work so well is that they're very interactive. So, you know, we were talking about call openers and the number one thing that makes them work is confidence. Same with objections. The number one way that is going to make you better at handling objections is you being confident responding to those objections. So the way that I like to train our coach is to make sessions interactive so that I can be there putting the best practice bumpers on. But we build together responses that are things that you, the rep, would actually say in the context of your day-to-day -day sales motions. Mm. So I love an interactive approach. And I love being the person that doesn't just tell people what to do, but brings them along in a, in a way that's more collaborative, where we co-create outcomes, we co-create deliverables that are in best practice, but are in their words. Yeah. Good. I think um, along the lines of constantly improving, I think you're holding a, what you call an outbound masterclass soon. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I am. Yes. Uh, me and Nikki Ivy, who is also a LinkedIn top voice for sales, will be live in Tampa, Florida on November 7th. Uh, for a one-day content deep dive. It is outbound everything. So we're going to talk about LinkedIn. We're going to talk about owning your territory as an IC, about cold calling, about cold emailing, uh, about using video. It's 
outbound, 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 um, but it's also end capped with some bits that focus on mindset as much as skill set. So we're starting the day with a guided meditation. We have a guided stretch after lunch. We have a little happy hour, but the featured cocktail is actually a mocktail. Um, so really working hard to both share valuable content with people that will allow them to level up, but also do it in a way that isn't like hustle or die uh, because sales is tough and we need to invest in our mindsets and our mental health as much as we need to invest in those skill sets that allow us to unlock our potential. Yeah, I agree. What final advice or takeaway would you want to leave with the audience regarding, you know, the art and the science of cold calling? The art and the science. Well, it is um, both, right? It is. It is right? both. Yeah. Curiosity is maybe that's kind of like the art piece in some ways, right? That's you one on one with a customer. The science is all the research and preparation and all that stuff that you and I have spoken about. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that is my sweet spot. That is what I love about sales. I love being able to dig into the metrics and the dashboards and diagnose where there are gaps or where something's missing or where there's too much of something, but then immediately train against it. Like there is something that is so powerful about our profession that we can change our outcomes in a day with just a with just a small pivot in what we're saying or the way we are listening or the way we are leading to curiosity, we can fundamentally change our outcomes overnight. I think that is so powerful. So takeaway is that every piece of sales is a craft, whether or not that is cold calling or active listening or leading with curiosity. So treat it as such, which means that you need to invest as much in those soft skill elements as well as um, as much as you do in, in building things like a script or the, the way you're going to handle objections. So treat this profession as a craft and you will get the rewards. Awesome, Leslie. I think this has been an amazing session. Lots of great information. Unbelievable. I think the audience is really going to love it. Well, Thanks thank you so much that. for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. And I hope your November 7th masterclass goes really well in Tampa. Thank you. We're really excited. Yeah. Well, thanks to Leslie and thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 